Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we speak with David Wudica, Managing Principal and Founder of Westminster Associates. David is a compensation expert with more than 30 years of professional human resources experience. He's hosting an upcoming two-day virtual masterclass on the Fair Labor Standards Act, and we were able to grab some time with him to talk about compensation trends in 2022. Let's check out the episode. David, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thank you very much, Josh. Nice to be here. All right. It's great to have you on. So, David, before we jump in, I'd love to hear more about your background. So can you tell us how you got your start in human resources and became an expert really in compensation? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question that you asked, Josh, because uh, this is taking me back a long way right now. But I actually answered an ad in the uh, Wall Street Journal for a human resource representative way back, uh, should I say, uh, 1973. And the uh, recruiter at Pratt and Whitney Aircraft in East Hartford, Connecticut, noticed my background as an engineer. And she thought that I might be better off being a compensation analyst. So I was hired as a compensation analyst in 1973. And that's how I actually got my start. I've been in the human resources field ever since then. I've been a compensation analyst, a compensation manager, a training and development manager, and also an international compensation analyst at um, Raytheon's corporate headquarters, uh, now located in Waltham, Massachusetts. So I was there for 10 years, and that pretty much takes me through the period of time in which I was working for a company, because in 1988, I left to form my consulting business and also to continue teaching. I've taught every year in colleges and universities since 1983, so uh, I've done a lot of teaching. That's great. And and again, having gotten that start and seeing just so much evolve in the compensation world specifically, but just in HR, we're now speaking here in early 2022. What are some of the major compensation issues that HR professionals need to be aware of as we head into the new year? Yeah, you know, uh, as I contemplated this question, uh, I came up with three areas in which we have to pay more attention, perhaps, than we ever have in the past. And let me say, you know, it is true that the HR profession doesn't really change very much. So for many years, and especially me in my role as a teacher, found that uh, I wasn't grappling with a lot of new ideas. Uh, along the way, it would be a you know a period of time before I would see some kind of significant change. Now the thing about that now is we have, as I mentioned, three areas that I think have emerged to make us do more research, to make us work harder, to make us establish policies that we may never have had before. So the first one, Josh, is this notion of pay transparency. I don't even know really who came up with that label, but it's stuck. And um, this refers to the idea of the openness and honesty with which employers deal with new job applicants. So, and by the way, maybe it it should carry over into the day-to-day operation of the firm when it comes to this notion of 
being transparent with current employees, not just new applicants. But the emphasis is on what happens with newcomers, with applicants. So every state, and this is what makes this more challenging for us in the HR field, has begun creating their own laws around this notion of transparency to ensure that employers honestly deal with those new applicants. This is the idea of sharing a pay range with an applicant so that they know what their prospects are financially uh, if they were to take the job. And one of the ones that has risen to a higher level in the public media is this idea that employers can't base the new salary if, if the applicant was to be hired upon the applicant's current salary. So when I said earlier that it doesn't really change much, we have used that approach that is basing the new pay off the old pay for decades so the idea that we now don't know what the applicant's salary is or rate of pay, because it might be an hourly rate of pay, you know? sure. but the idea that we can't base it off what they've earned to that point is very different. Right. Yeah. You're, you're almost going in blind. Yes. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And assuming here's what the, the role is worth and taking the risk that you're not overpaying. That's right. That's right. And you know, the basis for this in history is the idea, and I don't know who came to all of our defenses here, Josh, but it is kind of interesting to think about that the idea of not basing the new offer upon the current salary is that the workplace has a history of discrimination in pay. So do I see a lot of employers discriminating against employee pay, especially if I'm the compensation manager? You know, not really. I don't see it. And if I saw it, I would work to change it. Sure. Uh, but what initiated all of this is the presumption, especially when it comes to female pay, that the workplace has been discriminatory. And therefore, if we offer someone a 15% increase following the disclosure of the current salary, well, so be it. You know, the applicant has benefited instead of getting maybe what might have been in the past the standard five to 10% above their current salary, you know? So um, they benefit by it. And that's the objective, especially when it comes to female compensation, that, uh, that they will benefit to make up for the uh, past discrimination. Right. And, and that by being able to provide those increased salary opportunities. That really can help combat what we're seeing with the Great Resignation. Absolutely. Obviously, one of many factors that are leading to employees looking elsewhere and looking for new opportunities. But when you can incentivize your employees, your top talent to stay and make sure that they feel they are valued, that's a great opportunity to do so. Absolutely. That's a good connection that you just made, Josh. Thank you. Every once in a while, I get one. <laughs> All right. So we've seen a lot change in our day-to-day -day work and in the workforce. What are some unique compensation issues that were born out of the shift to a remote workforce and the COVID-19 pandemic? Yes. Right now, uh, besides what you alluded to, which is this idea of the challenge of retention of current employees, uh, that's a big challenge right there. But now we're going to be compensating them for working outside of the office. So that introduces a number of issues that we can talk about as well. Uh, you know, how do you compensate people who are not in the office and whose uh, performance and productivity is tougher to measure? Sure. How do, you, how do you do that? 
So employers have to think about this whole idea of managing the independent worker. So companies forever have managed a very independent worker called the salesperson, right? What are they doing? Are they working? I don't know. They're out there somewhere. So sales managers, regional, national, they've always had this challenge of trying to manage that sales force. So they have sort of a leg up in knowing how to do that. But then there are many other managers and companies whose employees are working uh, at a distance who have never faced this before. So it's a challenge just managing them. What is that performance level? What is that productivity level? Wow, you've got to stay in close contact with people. You've got to request more frequent reports about what they're accomplishing. Uh, it's much more of a challenge. Are they applying for a new job, Josh? <laughs> They're out there somewhere. And you look at, there, there's been a noticeable debate between being performance-based versus hourly-based in your expectation. And back to that sales comparison, sales management teams, there can be a little bit more looseness to, are they clocking in at, at nine and clocking out at six or, or doing the full 40-hour work week? As long as the bottom line is met, that shift is being seen in many workforces where it's more performance-based versus hourly-based. But it's one thing if you're a salaried employee, but when you're non-salaried, then that's where yeah. things become complicated. Yeah. One of the things that you hit upon there that we have to focus more upon is uh, the idea of measurable performance. So forever, we've been able to measure the output or the success of salespeople, right? But now with people at a distance, we have to be able to measure in numbers quantitatively what they've produced. So that's a big difference. That's for jobs that were never measured before that are going to be newly measured just in an effort to manage performance. So that's a big challenge for companies. Interesting. And then are we seeing anything in terms of overtime work as well? I think that's interesting to see in a workspace where you're not in person and can more closely manage working off the clock. Right. You know, um, the Fair Labor Standards Act says that non-exempt workers need to be paid at the rate of time and a half for all work in excess, actually worked, not holiday time, in excess of 40 hours per week. So that's the law. And now the question becomes, how do you know, how do you control the work of people off-site when it comes to that particular demarcation line of 40 hours of actual work? Do you see how the measurement and the record keeping get complicated here? Uh, so that's another new challenge. And, uh, you know, people who have various disabilities or illnesses, uh, my cousin had recently knee surgery and he's working out of his home, you know, so things happen. And these days that it often produces a situation where the worker is uh, working remotely. But all of these measurements that we've been talking about, they have to be made and kept, but they are a challenge. Sure. It seems that record keeping um, and a lot of just policies that were once a bit simpler and a bit more straightforward now need to be more detailed and really reinvented in this new modern workforce. Absolutely. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the HR Works podcast is brought to you by Namely. The last few years have changed the way we work forever and 2022 will be no exception. That's why you need Namely the all-in-one HR solution that offers everything you need 
so you can meet the new HR trends of 2022 head on. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely helps you easily adapt to the ever-changing workplace with onboarding, performance management, payroll, and intuitive benefits enrollment all on one connected platform. This new year, don't just keep up, get ahead. Learn more about making the switch to Namely today at Namely.com. Don't wait, that's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. So one thing we're also seeing, Dave, and it's really becoming a growing conversation, is the rise of the gig workforce. Mm -hmm. I think that's one I'd love to look at with you a bit and understand what challenges does that create for HR leaders dealing with compliance? Yeah, you know, I uh, once worked for a company that had internships for people who wanted to work in the company. These tended to be people, uh, you know, within the, the range of 20 to 25 years old just out of college or uh, maybe in some other capacity, but they had internships. And when the student or the member of that program completed the training, you know, by a company that knows how to train and is highly successful, the person who was in the program would leave for a better job elsewhere. Well, you know, that was quite a blow. And they began to say, you know, we really aren't getting anything out of this internship program because people always leave us. Uh, well, you know, when you mention the gig workers, think of the challenge for employers now. They always have to attract workers. We see signs up all over the place now for jobs being open. And um, then when people with the gig mentality fill them, gather up some money and decide to simply move on, maybe not to another job, maybe just for some travel or some relaxation. You know, Josh, uh, what this smacks of to me is the old television show, Route 66, where two guys in a Corvette would drive from Chicago down to the Southwest. And along the way, they would pick up jobs just to have enough money to be able to live. And they'd go to the next stop and they made it all the way down to the end of Route 66. We have the gig economy now and people are picking up jobs for a while and then leaving and getting different jobs. I'm hearing numerous reports in the media about people who uh, are moving to a very different kind of vocation or occupation or profession as compared to their last job. So now the challenge is not just moving on within your field, it's wide open. And in fact, I think one third of those workers are people who have started their own business. So hard to compete with that kind of change. Right, and I would think if you are an employer who's looking to go more maybe toward a gig workforce and bring in more gig workers, you need to then take a closer look at your record keeping, probably at your compensation policies as well, to ensure that those are more buttoned down with just that frequent turnover that you're seeing in your workforce. Yes, this is the Wild West, you know, trying to ensure that that person who you just hired is going to stay for more than six months. Sure. You know, or less, Josh, or less. <laughs> But uh, wow, it's a challenge for policymaking. It's a challenge for a company just to remain successful and in business. I don't know about you, but I see a number of businesses just in my ordinary travels that I thought were pretty successful that are shut down now. Sure. You know, that couldn't maintain their workforce. The business concept was great, but they couldn't maintain their workforce to serve us. 
or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, so that's the amplitude of this change now that we have. A real challenge for HR practitioners uh, to try to come up with those policies, those approaches, hiring the right people, greater emphasis upon that than ever before. Yeah, I'd say it certainly calls for a new creativity in attacking a lot of those issues. So you mentioned policies, um, which is a great segue to my next question. I wanted to ask, as we're in early 2022, new employee handbooks are being distributed to many employees. What is one thing in the employee handbook that you wish was included? You know, this takes me uh, a bit full circle to this notion of transparency. There are interesting viewpoints about the HR handbook, Josh. Uh, which really is a derivation of an HR policy manual. So we're going from big book to very small book. But the, you know, the criticism of these uh, handbooks has been that they give you some important information, but they don't give all the information necessarily that the employee would want. You, I, you may not know this. However, lawyers are not big fans of HR handbooks. They don't like anything that's written down. So they'd prefer that you have that smaller handbook rather than a larger handbook that just gets the company into trouble. <laughs> so I say, you know, use handbooks if you want to make sure they convey the essential information that you want, but be careful, be careful what you include. You mentioned what would they include today that they might not have included in the past? what we've been talking about, what changes are occurring in the new American workplace that uh, they should explain in something as simple as a handbook. It's transparent. Sure. It's transparent. We're not hiding things. We're being open about the new generation, about the new workplace, uh, about our challenges uh, following this horrendous period of time of various viruses. But I think that HR practitioners have to give more thought to what is changing and therefore what should be condensed into additional portions of a revised handbook. That's really great insight. All right. So Dave, we're bringing you on here in January to speak about compliance and compensation. Um, and you actually have a two-day virtual masterclass coming up on January 26th and 27th focused on the Fair Labor Standards Act called Advanced Skills for Wager and Hour Management. Can you tell us a bit about that class as we're going to be running this episode right before that class? And, and I'd love to give the listeners just a, a quick preview of what you're going to be teaching. Sure. Well, it's quite in depth with respect to the content of the Fair Labor Standards Act. And what we're talking about there, by the way, is the original act from 1938. There was a revision in the 1990s, but quite frankly, uh, uh, as an HR practitioner, uh, I don't and a lot of others uh, in the field don't really refer to that revision very often. I will get into some areas that I think are referred to in more clarity as written in that 1990s revision. But quite frankly, what we talk about with respect to the FLSA is what was originally documented in uh, 1938. So overtime, for example, the classification of jobs as being exempt or non-exempt. And uh, those are the areas that practitioners today still emphasize. I want to point out to you too, though, we're going to be talking about the Equal Pay Act. And the Equal Pay Act is an addendum to the Fair Labor Standards Act. So a lot of people don't realize that. So this notion of equal pay and equal pay for equal work and so forth, 
we will be talking about as well in that program. You might remember that in uh, October of 2016, right before the presidential election, one of the candidates for president kept referring to her belief in the notion of equal pay for equal work, you know, suggesting that she was going to emphasize it uh, if she were elected president. That, of course, is Hillary Clinton. And I, as an HR practitioner and, and a compensation specialist, heard her say this repeatedly as part of her platform. And I said, well, gee, to myself, talking to Hillary, we already have that law. It's the Equal Pay Act of 1963. So what is she referring to if she is suggesting that that somehow is new and something that she will make a priority in her administration? Well, what she was really referring to, but not really clearly saying, was the idea of gender pay equity will be emphasized in greater depth. And the standard ratio in this respect, uh, in effect for a long time until the uh, Great Recession of 2008, was that women make 70% of what males make. Then we had the recession. Women had to go to work. Men lost work. And the ratio changed to about 80%. Well, guess what came along well after that? And this changing the ratio even as we speak, Josh, and that, of course, was COVID. So it changed the workplace again. So gender pay equity can be a complex issue, but it's one, again, that HR practitioners need to focus upon because there's pressure there to do so. Okay. And look, those are the skills that I'm sure you'll be able to share and pick up if you attend Dave's class, which is coming up. And again, that's January 26th and 27th. That's the Advanced Skills for Wage and Hours Management. And that will be available through blr.com and can also be accessed through hrdailyadvisor.com. Dave, thank you for sharing that. Um, now one last piece of information I'd really love to share with our guests here is just a piece of professional advice that you've picked up in your 30 plus years as an HR professional that you'd be willing to share with our guests, something you could pass along as the best piece of professional advice you've received. Sure. Uh, Josh, my uh, son just went to work for 3M in the Northeast District uh, as a marketing manager. Okay. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, uh, he's, uh, <laughs> he's not asking me for a lot of advice, Josh, uh, but I only gave him one bit of advice in his new role. And, you know, if he wants to come to me for more, that will be fine. But the only thing I told him was learn your company's business. That's great advice. Right. Now, he's in a position as a marketing manager where he uh, has to know the company's products. But uh, if you're an HR professional and you think somehow that that's out of your realm, Think again, because you can show people in management and in leadership that you've taken the time to study what your company does, not just be a good HR manager, let's say, or compensation manager, but really taking the time to realize that you are there to support the business. Well, knowing the business, knowing its products is a good thing because one day someone will recognize the breadth of your knowledge. That's great advice, Dave. And again, that just helps you understand your role within the entire operation. That's right. Put it one other way, you're there to make the business more successful. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So one last question before we wrap here, and I like to ask this of all my guests. You wake up in the morning, feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that really gets you up and gets you going? What gets you motivated every day? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> if my wife were here right now, Josh, she could answer this question. <laughs> 
But what gets me going in the morning is having somewhere to go and people to meet. I just seem to wake up more clear-headed and ready to go. I shower early, you know, I look my best, and it's all because I have an opportunity to work with people. That's a great answer. And, and again, yeah, that's it's something that, uh, it's the opportunity to still see people and, and interact that I think just really gets people invigorated. David Wunica, Managing Principal, Founder of Westminster Associates. Thank you so much for your time today, being a guest on the HR Works Podcast. We're looking forward to your upcoming class. Again, please be sure to check that out on blr.com or hrdailyadvisor.com, taking place live on January 26th and 27th, but also available on demand after the fact. So be sure to check that out. Dave, thank you very much. Great speaking with you, and we'll talk again soon. Likewise. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.